Okay, turn with me, if you will, to Colossians, which is the letter that we're uh, going through. It's towards the end of the Bible, um, and we're in Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to be looking at verses 12 to 14, and last week Jamie unpacked the few verses before that, and he was covering um, this deal of putting to death what is earthly in you. And if you read through the Bible and you, you read Jesus' teaching, you'll see that there's this idea of being born again. That as you, st- as you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you're born again. And at, at that point, you're given a new heart with new desires, new affections for Jesus. Okay, The old is gone. You are a new creation in him. Okay, Now, at that point... You still have all the, the like the, what the Bible calls the flesh that wants to uh, war against your new desires. It doesn't want to submit to God's rule. It doesn't want to submit to you telling it what to do. But you do need to tell it what to do. You need to put to death what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, lust, greed, idolatry, some of the things that Paul uh, talks about in the passage. Now, having put off these things... Paul means, and God means for us, to put on things. Okay, so we've looked at putting off things, putting to death what is earthly. Now Paul moves on to look at, well, what are we to put on? And I think of it like um, putting on, like during the night, you wear your pajamas, okay, and you get up in the morning, and if you're going out to work, or you're with the family, or meeting people, like you get changed, don't you? You don't just keep your pajamas on. You take off your pajamas, and you put on, hopefully you put on new clothes, okay? Don't stay naked, it's inappropriate. Um, so, you put on something new, and it's something different to what you wore before. It is not the same. There is a marked change in what it looks like to follow Jesus. Okay, read with me verses 12 to 14. I'm reading from the ESV today. I just think it's a slightly uh, more helpful um, way of wording it, but it says in verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Okay, so Paul gives us this list of things that we're to put on. He talks about compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forgiveness. And then he says, above all, put on love. Above all of those things, all of those really good things, like we'd all love to be more kind, wouldn't we? More humble, more meek. But above all those things, put on love. But before we can do that, not only do we have to take off some stuff, put to death some things, we also have to know who we are in Christ. Because otherwise we'll put some stuff on and we'll be doing it to maybe please others, fear of man. We'll do it to please uh, God and think, oh, that's going to, you know, curry favor with God. But if we don't do it knowing who we are as a son or daughter of the king, then we're going to be doing it for reasons that are not going to serve us. And it's not going to grow our relationship with Jesus. 
So, what does Paul say in there? So he says, put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Okay? He's targeting the identity. He wants us to know who we are in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, just a couple of uh, letters back. Chapter 1, verse 4. It says there that he chose us. This is Jesus. Chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before him. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, it says that we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you. This deal of God choosing people to follow us is a really rich idea in the, in the whole Bible, but in the New Testament uh, especially. He chose you. If you follow Jesus today, he chose you. Okay, now there, there are just... Naturally speaking, there are two ways to have children, okay? This isn't the birds and bees chat, okay? But there are generally two ways to have children, okay? You can have children naturally, okay? And when you choose to have children naturally, we've had three children. You go into that not knowing anything of what's going to come. Now, you know there's going to be some highs, and you know there's going to be some lows, but you obviously go into it hoping there's going to be more highs then there is lows. You hope that things are generally going to go okay. The other way to have children is to foster or adopt. Okay? Now, when you go into fostering and adoption, you know a bit about the child before you go into that. So before you adopt a child, you get to find out what is their history, what's been their early years experiences, what are they like, what do they struggle with, what's their family been like, you get to know it. But at that point, the adoptive parents then decide, I'm going to choose you. Knowing all of the history, knowing all of the past, knowing that to adopt you is probably going to bring into our family some challenges. It's going to take some grace, it's going to take some strength, it's going to take some patience, it's going to take a lot of love, a lot of care. They choose that child. I just think that is so special. So special. And it speaks of the richness of God. That God, knowing everything about us, chose us. There's a J.I. Packer, a deceased theologian, who puts it this way. He said that there is tremendous relief in knowing that his love to me is utterly realistic based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about me, so that no discovery now can disillusion him about me in the way I'm so often disillusioned about myself and quench his determination to bless me. There is certainly great cause for humility in the thought that he sees all the twisted things about me that my fellow men do not see, and that he sees more corruption in me than that which I see in myself. There is, however, equally great incentive to worship and love God in the thought that for some unfathomable reason, he wants me as his friend and desires to be my friend 
and has given his son to die for me in order to realize this purpose. We cannot work these thoughts out here, but merely to mention them is enough to show how much it means to know, not merely that we know God, but that he knows us. The choosing of God out of his great love is a truly rich reality. He chose us. We are chosen. We are beloved. He knows us, and yet he still extends his love to us. This is who we are. We're beloved. We're chosen. We're his. So you don't have to be special to be chosen. You are already his. You don't have to get your act together to be accepted. He's made you holy. He set you apart for him. You don't have to make yourself lovable. He loves you just the way you are. This is who we are in him. We've been chosen. And it's good to know our identity as Christians, as followers of Jesus before him. Because then we operate out of that place. We live out of that place. We relate to others out of that place. But alongside this uh, sort of individual relation to Jesus himself, for each one of us, actually the Bible has an equally rich reality that us together as the church, as the body of Christ, are also chosen, are also holy, are also beloved. So if you turn with me to 1 Peter 2, just a few letters on. 1 Peter 2, verse 9. And Peter's talking to the church here. He says that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you'd not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So we are the people of God. We're loved, we're holy, and we're chosen together. We're a community of faith. We are his people. And actually, this, this passage in Colossians is talking to the church. The one that I read out earlier about putting on love. It's to the church. So we collectively are to put on love. We do that together. And I'd love us just to think, uh, you know, as I speak, of us collectively in that. We can think individualistically. We can think, oh, this is what I've got to do. And there obviously are responsibilities, and we have to to take steps um, to love one another, for sure. But we do that together together. We love one another. So put on love. We find this idea uh, actually in a few different places, putting on new things. So we see it in Ephesians 4 where uh, Paul talks about putting on the new self. It's that idea of putting on the new self, new clothes. We see it in Romans 13 where it says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
put on him, you know, when someone meets you, that they might know that they've met Jesus through the way that we love them, the way that we care for them. And then in Colossians 3, that deal of putting on love. So love is this primary characteristic of the Christian community. It's, it's, the, it's the spring where everything else flows out of. So all the kindness, meekness, humility. We don't make those things our aim. Our aim is to love. Out of love, all of those things will happen. All of those things will come. We make it our goal to love. And as we do that, it says there in verse 14, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. That's what happens when we love one another. When we're a community of love, we are bound together in perfect harmony. So this binding together, it's a sticking together. It's a bringing together of two things into a single identity. Think of it like homemade burgers. You've got mince, you've got the breadcrumbs, but you've got the egg. The egg binds it together. Think of it like gluten in bread. Okay, it binds the structure of the bread together. Gluten acts like a net that brings the bread together. Love is like glue. It's like glue. I love carpentry. And in the early days of building stuff, I'd be screwing everything together. And then I realized that there's something called glue, wood glue. <laughs> and that there's really good wood glue. There's this thing called gorilla glue, okay? If you're going to call it gorilla glue, it's going to be good, okay? And you can glue two bits of wood together, and there's no way you're getting them apart. So I started just gluing stuff, wood together. It's revolutionary. Um, so this binding together, this glue that two things come together and you cannot separate them. You get this deal in marriage, in scripture, you know, let what God has put to, uh, brought together, let man not separate. It's a bringing together. It's a uniting in love. And we see that in all of our relationships, not just in marriage, but in our friendships, in our relationships with one another. It's a binding together in perfect harmony. Oh, I love our church family. I love you guys. I love seeing how we love one another. I love seeing how we step out in caring for one another. I love seeing how we get alongside one another when things are difficult. So precious to be part of God's church family. And it's all of the acts of love that have happened so far in our life as a church that have bound us together into the rich relationships that we feel today. Now, you might be new here or relatively new, or you might just be feeling, oh, I don't really feel that loved, or I don't feel that sense of, of love. I think God for the, for the church wants a longevity about relationships. I've been at King's for uh, nearly 20 years, 
And I'd say that year on year, that love, that feeling of love, of binding together, becomes an increasing reality in my life. And it's not necessarily so much a feeling, although you do obviously feel it, but it's a reality. <laughs> I feel bound together with you guys really strongly. And that as new people come into that, that there's a binding together into something really strong. There's love there already. And it's bringing into a really, really strong um, thing. Now, I would just at this stage want to encourage us that in our individualistic society, we can often think that church is about us. And we might not, we might not um, like have those thoughts necessarily, but just being soaked in an individualistic society and culture, we can think this way. And so often we can get to the point where in church where we think, oh, well, I'm not really getting what I need from it. Or the relationships might have broken down. Or that we might just have a difficult conversation with someone <laughs> and think, well, that's it. I'm moving on. I'm going somewhere else. I'm going to find somewhere else that will fit. I don't think God sees the church like that. God wants us to, in those moments of difficult relationships, difficult times, he wants us to knuckle down in relationships. He wants us to move together in love towards one another for, to find forgiveness, to find reconciliation, to find hope, and to be brought back together for an even stronger binding together and an even richer church family. Does that make sense? The reality is that we are a group <laughs> of pretty messed up people, okay? <laughs> Me included. Is that news to anyone? <laughs> we all have issues. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna say things and do things to one another that are not going to be the best things that we could say to one another. We're going to say things that, you know, were maybe a bit harsh. We're going to say things to one another that may be a bit out of place. We're going to rush in where we should have been quick to listen. We're going to have these situations. And love in those moments looks like moving towards one another. Binding together in love. Not moving away from one another but moving towards one another. It's so good. There's so many ways that we are able to love one another as church family. Another way that we uh, might do this is where we differ theologically. So the reality is that as elders, um, as seven of us across three uh, locations, but seven elders across the sites. We don't agree on everything theolo theologically. We don't have the same doctrine, okay? We agree about the primary things, yeah? The stuff that really matters about Jesus, about him, why he came, why he died, why he rose again, about the Trinity, 
We agree about these core doctrines. But there are some other stuff, secondary matters, that we have difference of theology on. Okay, so we do that as elders. You guys also have different, will have different secondary views on a variety of different matters. So you, you will have that with each other, but you'll also have that with us as elders. Okay? And that's okay. That is okay. What binds us together is not our agreement on secondary matters. It's our love for one another. Okay? So when we disagree about things that really don't matter as much, um, secondary matters, in that, in that moment, we have an opportunity to talk to the other person, to hear their viewpoint. Where are you coming from? Oh, why do you see it like that? Oh, that's interesting. Okay, so that, you're seeing it, okay, that's great. And you, you build up this picture of, okay, I can understand where you're coming from. I'm moving towards that person in love. And then we can sit together with different theological views on, on, on those matters. Because we love one another. Okay, it's love that is the glue that binds us together. As we love, as we, sorry, as we serve one another, that's a great way that we love each other. It says in Scripture that the, uh, we know, uh, what, what's the verse? Let me get this right. John 15, let me read it. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Some of Jesus' words. So when we serve one another in very practical ways, so when you come into this room on a Sunday and uh, people put you know, the drinks out, tables are out, chairs are out, AVs out, the band's ready, people are serving in different capacities, the kids' work at, workers are out, uh, you might come in and just hold a, a kid that needs holding because they're crying. Um, you know, you might look to step out and serve one another in various ways as we gather together. That binds us together. Okay? So when you're serving, beavering away, and, you know, people might not notice, you know, you might not get that thanks at the end of the service. Know that as you serve one another, we are being bound more strongly together. There's no greater love than when we lay down our life for others. And it's the glue that joins us together. Another, maybe just a final way that we, uh, we love one another outside of the community of faith is actually when we move towards those who don't know Jesus. When we move towards those who don't know Jesus. We, uh, in our workplaces, in uh, our neighborhoods, within our families, our extended families, there, there are people who don't know Jesus. People who have maybe discounted Jesus, want nothing to do with Jesus, maybe never thought about Jesus. These people need the love of God. And it's our responsibility as Christians to love them. And we love them by hearing their stories, 
We love them by caring for them in, when, they, when they're going through a tough time. We love them by taking a meal around. We love them by buying them a pack of biscuits. You know, <laughs> Simple things, just loving people and looking for opportunities to share the love of Jesus with them, to share that Jesus laid down his life for us. So let me encourage you, like, and I need this encouragement, especially moving into the Christmas season. This is a time where people will be thinking about, um, they'll be thinking about Christianity more broadly. They might be thinking about family. They might be thinking about what's important in life. They might be asking these, these bigger questions of life. Let's be on the front foot just asking people, like, what do you think about Christmas? Have you ever been to church at Christmas? Just ask people. They'll open up. They'll, they'll say something. They have to. You've asked them a question. <laughs> and then you're in. You just, then you're hearing their story. You're learning about them. They might say, oh, yeah, I used to go to church as a kid, but it, I didn't really get on with it. You know, you've got an opportunity then to hear that, share your experience, share about church family here. Say, why don't you come along one Sunday? Experience something different. Ask people questions. It's a great way to love people. Okay, so we've gone through loads of examples. Hope that's been quite practical, hopefully really helpful. Now, maybe it's just me, but that list of things, let's just see it as a list, it sounds pretty overwhelming. Like if I was to go home and think, oh, I've got to do that and that and that and that and that, and that, like, I'm just, I can't do it. Like, and I'll, I'll, I'll come up short very quickly in my ability to do it. Well, the reality is that it is overwhelming. <laughs> that without Jesus, we cannot do any of this. The Bible paints it very clearly. It says that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. So let's make no bones about it. None of us have done this well, well enough. None of us. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. The only person who has loved perfectly is Jesus. He's the only person who has ever lived, whoever will live, who has perfectly loved God and every single person that, he's come into, that he came into contact with. Only person. He has done this perfectly. He loved the outcasts and the religious. He loved the unlovely and those who might think they're more presentable. He loved the lazy and the hardworking. He loved everyone. No matter their background, no matter where they were coming from or why they were coming to him, he loved them. And Jesus showed his love for us by laying down his life for us. It's the greatest act of love to lay down your life for someone else. When you hear those stories of that parent who uh, lays down their life for a child or someone who maybe gives up an organ that they, uh, you know, that they, they don't need anymore to, for someone else, it, they're, they're giving up something so precious to them themselves for the benefit of someone else. How much greater is that love when someone gives up their entire life for someone else? 
Jesus did that. He died for us. It's the greatest act of love. Let us be a people who dwell in his love, who abide in his love, who richly bask in his love. Thinking of a bath, you know, just bathe in his love. Let his love affect your heart, your affections. Take time to daily to dwell on it. Oh God, you love me. Oh God, I've messed up again. <laughs> I've said it again. Oh God, thank you that you love me. I'm sorry for that. Thank you that you love me. I turn to you, Jesus. I want to follow a better way. Please help me. Whatever's going on in my heart that's causing me to act in that way towards that person, Lord, please heal me. Help me. You love me. And then move on in grace. Move on knowing that he loves you, that he'll be with you, that he will empower you. Dwell on his love. Out of that place, we can be that community of love. We can be that love to one another. That's what God calls us to. Let's stand. Uh, yesterday, we, uh, a few of us were um, at this conference that, that Johnny mentioned, uh, this From Everywhere to Everywhere conference, and uh, Steph Liston, who was one of the speakers, uh, spoke actually on this same passage, <laughs> and I was sitting there listening, going, oh yeah, I should have, should have prepared that, oh yeah, you said that, and she's just like trying to get that all out of her head to come in today, but I'd really recommend, like, keep an eye out for the recordings, like, there was superb teaching uh, on various passages, especially uh, this passage, looking at forgiving one another, um, looking at what it looks like to put on love, really, really recommend keeping up for those resources. Jesus, we love you so much, and where our love falls short, thank you that we find a God who loves us, we find a God who accepts us, who forgives us, and that in Christ we can come, we can come to you, that in Christ we have full access to the Father, and that that access will be one where we say, yeah, I'm coming in the name of Jesus. I'm coming in his name. I'm coming with his perfection, his righteousness. Not coming with my own record, my own mess up, my own muck and dirt and the way that I've lived life. I'm coming in Jesus' name. So, Father, accept me for Jesus' sake. Thank you so much that we can come before you and that you will welcome us and you do welcome us with open arms. You love us. You're kind to us, and I pray for us as a church family. We, we want to be bound together as strongly as we can be bound together, Jesus. So please help us do that. Help us love one another. Help us do that well. Help us listen to one another, understand one another, and move towards one another. In Jesus' name, amen.